Praise the Lord. So we are in um, chapter 4. And last week we talked about... Um, we talked about trying the spirits. And uh, John was very passionate about making sure that the church walk in truth. Amen. Because how many know there's a lot of weird stuff out there? A lot of weird stuff out there. There's no doubt about it. But it ain't new. It's not. We're not seeing weird stuff for the first time. The church has had to deal with weird stuff ever since its birth. Because remember... We've got the seed of Satan and the seed of Christ, amen? And we are the seed of Christ. But what the, what the devil hates is he hates the seed and he hates the truth. He hates the Word of God. He's been trying to pervert the Word of God from the beginning of man. And, um, and so, you know, it's nothing new. Um, I always find that maybe the package may have a different bow or a different type of wrapping paper, but when you open it up, it's usually the same gift inside. It's the same smelly, whatever you want to call it. It just is not, it's not good. He's got, he's got no new tricks. So, um, so we're being warned here, and like I say, he's quite passionate about that as he talks about that. And um, so he gives us a warning or kind of like a... Um, something to look out for. And and one of those things that he talks about is in verse 2 of chapter 4. Let's read that. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, if every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is of what? God. Is of God. It's that simple. It's nothing uh, hard. That's what I love about the Bible. Um, it is not difficult to understand. And sometimes I think crafty teachers try to take the simplicity of the Bible and they're offended by that and they try to deepen it up or they try to make it a little bit more mystery, mystery you know, have, have more of a mystery to it. Um, but that's the power of the Gnostics. That's what the Gnostics did. And they've been doing it since the beginning. They always try to make it look like what they have is some deeper truth that you need to come on the inside and be a part of the club. All right? We see that in, 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 we see that in the Masonic Lodge. We see that in a lot of these different cults out there. That what you do is, is if you can kid on the inside... It's on the inside is where the knowledge is at. All right? Let me tell you, our great example was the Lord Jesus Christ, who was on the inside. And what did it say? It says, He took off glory, and He came down to the public. Amen? He came down from the inside to the outside. Amen? And God has never wanted to keep secret the things that pertain to him. What he's only wanted us to do is draw near to those things by faith. That's it. Praise God. All right. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Seven ways to test a false prophet. First, which we just read, by their confession of who Jesus is. All right. If they said, what did they say? They have to say Jesus did what? He he came in the flesh, so we're talking about the incarnate dwelling, all right? It, that's, that's the deity put on 
flesh, or he put on a body. Amen? Um, the other one is their relationship with the world. All right, John chapter 4, verse 5, look at that with me. It says, they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. All right, so a couple of things to look at there. First of all, these false teachers, they're not of God. They're not of the church. They're of the world. And so they speak like the world. They have the same language of the world. You see that in a lot of pretenders. They, they try to say they're of the church, but they're not. And they try to use the world's language to be appealing. I read an article. I think my wife was telling me about it as well, that um, one trend factor was to make your churches look like nightclubs. Make the church, make the sanctuary look like a nightclub because it's familiar to the lost. All right. Now, you know, on one hand, that might sound, you can kind of see where they're coming from. But here's the problem I have with that. Jesus has always called us to go higher. You know, he's always invited us to come up to his level. He's invited us to share his glory. And I think that the church should be the same with people on the outside. Come in. Take a step up in the glory of God. Take a step up in church. We don't need to ramp down church. We need to invite them to the higher echelons of church and his glory. Amen. And set the standard. You know, set the bar. We know we're always thinking we've got to lower the bar for the lost. I think the lost are looking for a standard that they can, that they can reach up to. You know, I knew I was lost. I had been in many nightclubs. I didn't need another scene that looked like a bar. I needed the glory of God. I needed to walk into a place and experience the tangible Shekinah glory of God. Then when I walked in there, it just saturated my entire body. And I felt peace like never before. Amen. And I don't think you can get that if you make your churches look like nightclubs. That's my opinion. Um, it says, and also the other thing it says there, there were, they, they speak of the world and the world hears them. All right. So there is a relationship there that he's dealing with. Now, we'll touch base more on that after my list here. Number three, talking about how to test false prophets. It says... It's how they receive Christians. 1 John 4, 6 tells us that we are of God and he that knoweth God hears us. And he that is not of God hears not us. Hereby we know, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So what is John saying here? He said, look, there's a group over here that is speaking like the world. And because they're of the world and they speak like the world, the world hears them. But there's another group over here that is speaking the things of God. And because God is marked those people and called those people unto salvation, those people God knows 
who are his, the Bible says, they then hear what the people of God are saying. All right. So this is what I always say. We can't change our message. And here's why we can't change our message. Because our message is what defines who God is calling and who he's not. If people respond to the word of God, to the message, they're responding to God. And so that's how we know that those are who God has called. If we speak what the world is speaking and the world is listening, we don't know whether that is God calling them or not because they're responding to what they already know. And speaking the word of God is the defining difference. That's how we know what he says here in verse 6. This is how we know we are of God. He that knoweth God hears us, and he that is not of God hears not us. So if I'm preaching the message of God to a group of people, I do not have to take offense that they did not hear. What you do is you do what Jesus said. You shake the dust off your feet and you move to the next group. It's not up to us. It's not up to us to save people. The Bible says that God draws men to salvation. And the only bait that God uses is his word. That's what he uses. Why? Because we're spirit. We're body. Remember what we said? I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body, right? So if we are spirit, the word of God, which is spirit, it's the only thing that will catch the unbeliever. That's why when we go door to door or you're evangelizing, you know, people try to get cute. They try to water this thing down to try to become more relevant or more understanding. And I'm like, you're you're getting rid of the greatest tool that you can have to get somebody saved. Because if you go to somebody's door, you go to a colleague at work and you start taking them down the Romans road and you read the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You speak that. That is the word. That is like a that's a that's a double barrel shotgun of the Holy Ghost that goes past their head. Straight into their spirit. And that's where they're going to get saved. You're not going to save a person's emotions. You're not going to save a person's intellect. What you're going to save is their spirit. But I find that we've got so many false preachers and prophets out here. They're trying to save people with the world's gadgets. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We are of God. He that heareth God hears us. And he that is not of God heareth not us. And then he says in the last part of that verse 6, Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There's nothing else that can cut between what is wrong and what is right than the message of God, than this, than this book right here. Amen. So, number three, how they receive Christians. Number four, their attitude towards the commandments of God. Are they trying to change God's word? Are they trying to say that we live in different times now? How many have ever heard that? Oh, times are different now. Look, times are not different. Man has been doing the same thing since he was created. 
The only thing that has really changed is the things that are available, the tools that are available to do the things that man has always done. There's just more of them, amen? Um, number five, the way they love the brethren. Verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. So John, once again, he's known as the apostle of love. It's amazing how the Lord gave the apostle of love a book like the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, with supposedly all the doom and gloom. You know, if you actually read that book, how many have actually read that book all the way through? All right. Maybe the book of Revelation. How many have just read the book through? Yeah. The book of Revelation. You know, when you read it all the way through, have you noticed that when you, it, there's some crazy stuff in there, but it's mostly about Jesus, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff. It's mostly about what it's, that's called the revealing of the Lord Jesus. And there's probably, you know, maybe about what, from six to 13, maybe about seven chapters out of 21 chapters that really talk about some crazy stuff. But most of the stuff in Revelation is about the Lord Jesus. And, you know, when I grew up in church, they always tried to tell me, oh, you need to stay away from that book. You, you, need, to, you need to get somebody who's an expert. You need to get, you know, a professional to break it down to you. And um, I got to be honest with you, when I was backslidden, I was reading the book of Revelation, and uh, it was blowing my mind. And it really, God really spoke to me as I was reading that book. And, um, you know, and they, later after I got, you know, saved and really, really started getting into that book, I realized it is a book that every believer should read. Amen. Every believer. That's the, you know, that's the one book that says there's a special blessing there if you read it. And it doesn't say understand it. It says read it. Just read it. That's all it says. Blessed are those who read this book. And so, it's a book that should be read many times. I encourage you to do it. So, but the, what got me on that point was, is the guy that wrote that book is known as the Apostle of Love. And everywhere John went, even in his old age, he always admonished the church to just to love one another. You know, we can be smart in here. We can have the best times worshiping the Lord. We can have the best music, the best preaching, just incredible information. We can have a gorgeous building. We can have everything. But if we have not love, it's all a waste of time. It does not count in the eyes of God if we don't love one another. If we're biting on one another, if we're chewing one another up, you know, that's not love. And it says here, now this is a heavy trip right here. Listen to this. It says, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knows not God for his love. So you can be prophesying, you can be seeing angels, and then all of a sudden if somebody takes your seat in church and you get an attitude and you're like, that's my chair, that's my chair. I've been sitting here for four years. Or you go over there to your neighbor and I can't believe that new person over here sitting in my chair. What's the matter with them? Look at that stuff they're wearing. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. Man, you don't know God. 
You can say you know God. You can act like you know God. You can shande, halabatande all day long in church and sing hallelujah, sing praise songs. But if we're not loving on one another, we don't know God. And so you know what all that other stuff is? Religion. Just dead religion is all it is if we have not love. So the other thing, and now these false prophets, they don't love, they don't love the brothers. You know what they like to do to the brethren? They like to fleece them. They like to take their money. They like to whip in with the latest craze, the latest dazed and confused. Give me your money and they leave town. And I know there's a lot of people in here that has experienced that with people. So they, they don't love the brethren. They fleece the brethren. Amen. So the other thing is, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we saw that the Holy Spirit is the way you can tell if somebody is a true teacher, prophet. If they're a false prophet, they do not have the Holy Spirit. And what did we learn about? It says that we have a what inside of us? An unction. All right. That word there means we've been smeared. All right. We are smeared with the oil of God, like the oil that runs from the head of Aaron down as through his face and into his beard and into his garments. Amen. That's a picture of the church. And we've been anointed with the Holy Ghost. And the one thing that I realize about the anointing is, boy, it acts a lot stronger when I'm around you guys. It just increases, man. It's thick. When we get together, it's thick. I mean, I have a little bit of presence at home, but I have to get here with you guys because I, f- yeah. I feel him more. That's all I can say. It's that anointing. It's that combination of the anointing coming together. Amen. And have you ever like been next to somebody or whatever? And you're just not, you just, it's like two magnets. You're trying to put them together, but they keep bouncing off of each other. You know what I mean? What is that? Well, you're dealing with a guy that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, man. You're dealing with him, and, he, and, and he's operating in purely in his soul, in his intellect, or in her intellect and in her mind. You know, they're not in the Holy Ghost, amen? All right, in verse 7 also, the last one is, is that they, they do not use the Word of God. All right? They don't use the Word of God. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen it says all Scripture is given by inspiration. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And remember what we said: doctrine is what is right, reproof is what is not right, correction is how to get right, and instruction is how to stay right. All right. So you've got what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And there's only one thing that God has given us, and that's this book. Amen? So and in verse 17, it says that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You know, I see a lot of guys walking around, and they look like hobos with that sack on their head. You know how you know, a hobo, how they travel, they got a little stick and a little red bag with all their belongings in it. You know, a person that is trying to minister the things of God without the word of God is like a hobo on a railroad track. All right. 
But God, with his word, you are like the greatest furniture store you have ever seen in your life. You're like a king's palace, man, where there is tapestries and and chairs to sit on and beautiful lush plants and beverages and food and everything that you need is there. All right. He gives us everything that we need. My wife is looking at me funny. I need to move to the next verse. I went somewhere. I went there alone, but I went somewhere. All right. I was seeing it. I was seeing it. It was so beautiful. All right. All right. So there you go. Now, we read verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Verse 9. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. All right. Go with me over to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. God commended his love. That's the verse I'm looking for. You see it? 5 8. All right, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Amen. I'm there too now. All right. For God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the love of God is the is the first step. God took the first step towards man. Man's the one that had the problem. But God didn't wait for man to come to him. God went to man. You know, I always find that when you're in an argument with someone, real love will be the person that takes the first step, whether you're right or wrong. Amen. You know, we have to take with with our relationships. We have to be have enough love to take the first step because that's what our father did towards us. Amen. Now, that word commended there is it's a really neat um, description there, because what it means is it's like a complete um, work in a symphony. And you know, if you ever, if you ever liked, anybody here like classical music? I love it. It's what I first heard my wife listen to classical music. I said, I like her. She's classy. (laughs) And so she would, when she would pick me up in her little Ford Escort, that little blue beast, man, and she'd have this classical music on. And one of the things I notice about classical music pieces is it always start off kind of soft. And, you know, it just builds, doesn't it? And each, there's a section of the song, a section of the song, and it grows and grows and grows. And it'll get big, and it'll kind of kind of taper off for a minute. You just think it's going to kind of wind down, you know, and the song's only been going for a few minutes. And you're thinking it's over, but, hey, we're not listening to pop radio. This is classical. This thing's got another 12 minutes behind it. You know what I mean? <laughs> You think it's getting ready to get over and all of a sudden it just starts moving again into a new section and then just and in layer upon layer. OK, well, that's what this word commended is, is that God, God commended his love he, all through the Bible, 
through the history of man, God has layered his love upon man in a beautiful symphony of, of how he wanted to display himself to humanity. And it started off a little and it just grew and grew and grew and grew until finally the biggest crescendo of that course was when Jesus finally came down to earth. Amen. And that's what he means. He says he commended it. He set it up from the very smallest part and he just kept taking it and growing it bigger and bigger. And it says, and while we were yet sinners, he did this. While we were complete enemies towards him, he did this. And so, you know, the love of God, if somebody said, Jeremy, why don't you, what would be the definition of the love of God? And I would say to them, the love of God is, is that he took the first step. Because that's what he did, man. You know, and if so, if you say, well, how can I love like God? Well, you can take the first step, especially when it comes to forgiveness. How many have ever found themselves in this position? It's not my fault. They need to come to me. They need to come to me, man. I'm just, you know, there's nothing to forgive. They need to come to me. You know, that's not, Jesus didn't say that, did he? He didn't say that, man. He said, I'll go to them. I'll take the first step. Amen. So that's the love of God. All right, back to our text in 1 John. And um, so that's here in his love, verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John loves this word. This is like the second or third time that he used it. And this word propitiation, we talked about, it's, it means covering or the only English word that I, it's like a, it's like a lid. He became the covering or the lid. And that lid is reflective of the mercy seat that was in the tabernacle. Now the lid was what was in the Ark of the Covenant. Does anybody know? Catherine? Aaron's rod that budded. The commandments on stone and a bowl of manna. All right. So in, in the Ark of the Covenant, we have the law, don't we? It's sitting, in the, it's sitting in the Ark. And what's on top of the law? The mercy seat is on top of the law. The mercy is what covers the law. And every year, the high priest had to go into the temple, and he had to put blood. Did he put blood on the tablets? No. He, what did he put on? He put it on the covering. He put it on the mercy seat. See, the blood is what covers the law. All of your transgressions of the law are covered in the blood. You know? And so, Jesus here, when it says he's the propitiation, I see you, brother. I'll get to you in a minute. When, when he says Jesus was the propitiation, in other words, he was the covering. And the payment of the penalty. The payment of the penalty, thank you. He was the payment of the penalty. And so, so to be the propitiator means that he was the one that covers or replaces. Now, here's an interesting thing about that. When that, that blood that they would put on that, on that mercy seat... There would be two animals that would be brought to the priest. One would be sacrificed, and that blood would be put on the mercy seat, but there'd be another one 
that was released into the wilderness. And we call that the scapegoat. That's me and you. We escaped. Amen. Two were brought. One was sacrificed. The other escaped. Amen. And it's amazing how many different sayings, you know, they say, well, that's a scapegoat. And, uh, you know, that, that comes straight from the Bible. So anyway, so yeah, propitiation. And like Brother Lee said, he became the full, say that again, Lee, what did he become? The payment of the penalty for our sin. The payment for the penalty. Payment of the penalty. Paid in full, huh, brother? Paid in full. All right. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. There it is. In other words, if God took the first step, we should do that. Verse 12. Now, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, it's amazing how many songs we sing about God show us. Show us your glory. God, I want to see your face. God, I want to see this. I want to see that. And really the best way that we can see God is to love one another. Is to look at each other and see God. We're so much trying to like, I don't know, have an encounter with the Lord. Oh, I want to see your glory, Lord. But I can't stand the person standing next to me. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. He keeps talking about this love. It's a whole, whole chapter, man. 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. Alright? So, this is a promise that you can hold fast to, because you say, man, I don't know if I can do what you're saying, Jeremy. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. But look what verse 13 says. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. All right. Now, look at Romans 5, 5. I should have had you stay over there, didn't I? That would have been smart. Romans 5, 5. Say amen if you're there. How many of y'all like flipping pages in the Bible? I like it, man. This is how you do it. This is how you get in there and figure out where these things are at. All right. Um, Best place to start here is right at the top. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in a tribulation, also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So where does that love come from? It comes from the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that puts the love of God in you. It says He shed abroad. It was shed abroad, man. 
when, when I hear that word shed abroad, I just feel like it's a gusher. It doesn't feel like a little droplet. It says he shed abroad the love of the love of God has been shed abroad by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's just been it's it's just been poured out, man. It's been poured out. You know, it's not a little beaker. It's like a fire hose, man, a fire hose of the love of God. And there we have the, the, the uh, we have the, the, the three sisters or the triplets. We have the faith, the hope and the love. Amen. And Paul always talked about faith, hope and love. You know, it's like the triple bound cord that can never be broken. Faith, hope and love. Those are the greatest elements that a Christian should operate in. Faith, hope and love. Praise God. But the greatest of these things is love. Amen. And so, so where does that let you say, man, Jeremy, I don't think I can take the first step. Well, are you full of the Holy Ghost? And if you say, well, I thought I was. Well, if you thought you were, you probably need another baptism. Another, let's lay some more hands on you because, you know, because when... When I got filled with the Holy Ghost, one thing I never said anymore was, I think I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I've never said that, man. When you get the Holy Ghost, you know it. You know it. And you can take, you can go right back to the point in time. You don't have to question it. You know it. Amen. So the first thing is, is if you can't love, are you full of the Holy Ghost? Now, man, you, you know, I've taught this before. Paul was very keen on making sure that people were full of the Holy Ghost. Right. He would always question them, where have you gone? Have you had the baptism of the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost yeah. well, we don't even know there was a Holy Ghost yeah. baptism. Well, what have you been baptized with? A baptism of John. He said, well, that's a baptism of repentance, brother. In other words, you just turned, you just realized you were a sinner and you, and you want to stop. You need you got to go you got to go further than that, all right? We got to go further than just be feeling bad for our lifestyle. Praise God. All right, back over to the text. Verse 14, chapter 4. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the savior of the world. All right? Now, remember remember what the word we said world meant the system or the cosmos, all right? And you know the Bible does make a different. It does make a uh, a slight. Um, what's the word I'm trying to use? It makes a different point here. We're talking about the world of humanity. For God so loved the world that He gave. It didn't say for God so loved the system. It said for God so loved humanity. All right. For God so loved the world, God so loved humanity. And right here it's saying again, to be the savior of the world or humanity, okay? God loved everybody, not just a few. You know, the early church got into bad doctrine where they, where they tried to say that God only loved those that he called. And those are the ones that he died for, that God only died for a select few. That's, that's hogwash. That's bad doctrine. It's crazy. For God so loved the whole world. He loved every single person that was ever born or ever will be born. And his blood was enough to cover every one of their sins. Amen? Amen. This selective salvation is for the birds. Verse 15. Now whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, 
and he and God. All right. So there's our reminder again in verse 15 from verse 2 of the chapter. All right. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that God dwells in him. The Muslims will not confess this. They will not. I've, I've been with them on the streets of Bradford, England, many weekends, and they refuse to accept that Jesus was the Son of God. They don't think God can have a son. All right? And so, you know, they think he was a good man. They even actually believe that he's going to be returning again. But they don't believe he's the son of God. But John the Apostle here who wrote the book of Revelation, he didn't say those that believe that Jesus is coming back again is of God. No, he said those that believe that Jesus is the son of God. And earlier he said those that believe that Jesus came in the flesh. All right. That's another separating fact. Son of God come in the flesh. These are things that you're going to deal with. How many have ever watched TV in a sporting event or a, a, a performing arts award? And they always want to say, I just want to, before I say anything, I just want to thank God. That's all possible with God. I'm like, man, everybody's saying God. I want to hear the guy that says, I want to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for my sins and raised from the dead. I want to thank Jesus for giving me the Holy Ghost. I want to thank you, Lord, for the Bible. I want to thank you for my gifts and talents. And I surrender them to you. That's, now, that's a confession, okay? Now, you don't hear none of that kind of stuff, do you? Everybody wants to say God, but nobody wants to say Jesus. You know, when you go on the streets, if you really, you know, pastor or no, back when in the Navy, they used to take soundings. You know what a sounding is? What's a sounding? It's when you, when you check the depths of the ocean that you're in. So you can figure out what territory you're at, okay? I see y'all looking at the clock. I'm almost done. You're checking, you're checking depths. You're checking depths. You, you want to know how you can take a sounding into somebody's heart? You can go right down into their spirit, right? Just mention the name of Jesus. You come in contact with somebody and you say, boy, you know, I just love Jesus. And you'll watch their face either go, ah, or you'll watch you go, ah. You can watch your face just kind of just go, ah. They'll just get, they'll just, just kind of contort. You know, you just like you, they bit into a sour patch or something, you know, it's the craziest thing. But if you say, boy, I love Jesus, and they'll be like, yeah, that's, you know, you kind of see it lighten up. And they may not even be saved. But you know, if I see somebody kind of respond like, like that, oh, really? That's an opportunity maybe to, you know, sow a little seed. Okay. Sow a little seed. But boy, if you say, man, I love Jesus. Man, I just head on, head on to the, head on to the cash register, man. Just move along, please. You know? But you can take a little sounding because Jesus does that, man. He's like a, he's like a bright light in the world. Now, he says here in verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. He's saying the same thing. Verse, he's keep, keep pushing it. Keep pushing it, John. We'll get it eventually. We'll get it eventually. Keep singing it till you believe it. <laughs> I remember this one time, man, we were in church in England, and we didn't have a worship team, but we had a CD. 
And you guys remember that song, Celebrate Jesus, that we used to sing in the, in the 90s? Celebrate Jesus, celebrate, celebrate Jesus, celebrate. For he has risen, he has risen, and he lives forevermore. And it keeps on going. And the CD kept singing that song for like 15 minutes. And you could just feel, you could see the congregation going, and it was a CD, so you couldn't do anything, you know. You were kind of a slave to the CD, and it just kept going. So finally, man, the preacher, he can feel the people dying on this song. And he's like, sing it till you believe it. So funny, man. Verse 17, now herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Oh, man, I love that. So in other words, what he's saying there is, is the love is made mature or it's come to fruition because when Jesus comes, we are going to have boldness. Like we said the other day, you know, if Jesus came tonight, I don't, I don't want to be embarrassed. I'm going to have boldness. Why am I going to have boldness? Because I was acting like he acted when he was in the world. In other words, I was in the love. I had love for my brother. I was walking in holiness according to his commandments. Amen. And I was walking in the truth of the word of God. Those are the three things that John says over and over. So if we walk in love, if we stay out of darkness and we stay in the word, when Jesus comes back, we're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to be taken by surprise, you see. And that's what he's saying here in verse 17. We will have boldness. Yes, sister. Can I, can I ask you a question? It's pertaining to what you're saying. And I, it only takes one minute. It's really good. It's good. I'm, I, I want to listen to it, but I want to get through these four verses real fast, okay? Because I want to. I got to finish this chapter. Our pastor's going to throw his hat at me tonight, okay? And then we'll come back to that, okay? All right. Verse 18. Now it says here, oh, this is another good one. Now there is no fear in love. And remember, remember we talked about them verses that we always kind of quote to each other, and there are a lot of them are here. Look at this. There is no fear in love, because why? Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. And perfect love casts out fear. And why? Because fear has torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. So that's a good test factor. If you're, if you're afraid, if you're the kind of person that is afraid all the time, you know, how many here, if you were honest with yourself, you don't have to raise your hand, but just take inventory. Are you af- really, are you afraid to die? You know, if you if 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 death still troubles you, it still makes you afraid. Then you've not been perfected in love. Well, yeah, I mean, I can see I can see what you're saying that I mean, I guess for me, I've never thought about the process. But here's the thing. I trust him even in the process, you know, because I figure if I figure if a guy like Tyndale could stand the flames that burnt him to death. 
if I, those Christians that were burned at the stake by Nero and were singing worship songs to the Lord, if those guys that were walking out to the lion's pit when they were being, you know, when the Romans were putting them in the Colosseums and they were putting uh, skins of animals over them so that the lions would attack them. If those guys could walk into that fire and sing the praises of God, if Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could go into the flames from Nebuchadnezzar, man, we can go through any trial that God has for us. If we truly are filled with the love of God and his power and the Holy Spirit, and we are walking it through with him, he will walk you through anything. He will walk us through anything. Anything, guys. And so, it's because it says, perfect love hath no fear. Perfect love. So, the love must be perfected to drive out the fear. Now, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love one who he hath not seen? And that's putting the rubber on the road right there. Oh, I love God. Oh, that's easy. You can't see God. He's saying, if you can't love somebody you can look at, how can you say you love somebody you cannot see? You know, and, and John is, once again, he's putting the responsibility on the Christian to act out what they believe. In verse 21, last verse, and this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. And he just keeps saying it over and over in different languages, right? You want to say you love God? Are you loving your brother? Amen. Now, a good chapter for verse 4 is to read Corinthians chapter 13 right along with chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 13 and four and 1 John 4, they're married to each other. Amen. Praise God. Wow, Pastor, I got through a chapter tonight. Hallelujah, glory. Hallelujah. And I got five minutes to spare. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.